fucked up and knocked my phone off of uh, the bench. That's why I disappeared for a little bit there. Oh, shit. <clears throat> Are you doing the old trailer thing, huh? Dude, yeah. I'm like down the road, creepily parked <laughs> off the side of the road. And there's a house probably like 200 yards, 300 yards from where I park. And I always think like maybe I should send the lady a message on Facebook. And tell her that I'm like what I'm doing so she doesn't just think there's this creepy guy parking once a week right next to her house. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah at night time. You're staking her out or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's fucking pretty. It's pretty weird, but it works out. All right. Should we get it rolling then? Let's do it. Welcome, everybody, to Forging Brains Podcast. This week's episode. We got Bodie Turnka with us. Bodie is uh, the son of Craig and also a huge part of the WCB and what it is. Bodie's also done quite a bit on his own in the horseshoeing world, and so I was pretty excited to hear from him today. How you doing, Bodie? Yeah, good, man. I'm excited to be here. It's been yeah. uh, pretty cool listening to you guys over the past couple months. I've listened to all of them, and it's a cool deal. I'm excited to be on here. Well, I think you're a kind of an important person that we should get to talk to as far as like, you know, somebody that's current and, you know, among our age group or whatever that's coming up and, you know, doing well and putting in the work that you have. We're in the millennial age group, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the fucking do nothings. <laughs> yeah, the old, the old lost generation. Yeah, <laughs> out to prove to everybody, high. trying to prove to everybody that we're not piles of fuck. <laughs> Just... Yeah, exactly, exactly. But man, I, th- I bet it's like everybody would probably think that you were just like, you just would wanted to be a horseshoer since you were a young kid. But I guess I've never really asked you, did you want to be a horseshoer since you were young or? Uh, I guess I always had it like in the back of my head, you know, I always went with my dad and always went uh and just was around horseshoeing my whole life pretty much so it's always kind of been there um I dev- definitely wasn't dead set on doing it right off the bat uh I was always way into horses and uh I would say that being liking horses definitely brought me into wanting to be a horseshoer probably more than what my dad pushed me into being a horseshoer like it seemed like that it was a good trade to go into if you liked horses, you know, and I always liked horses and I always liked being around them. And I, I used to ride a bunch. It's always big into horse riding. And, uh, my grandpa, he, uh, he was always ran big cattle ranches in Arizona. And so I was always infatuated with like the cowboy lifestyle and being a cowboy. And so it all kind of convoluted and mixed, you know, But I wouldn't say that I really thought that I was going to be a horseshoer until I went to college. After high school, I went to college, and uh, then I. What did you go to college for? um, So, like, I went to college. Well, I got so I got an agricultural business degree. I got a bachelor's in ag business from New Mexico State University. But the cool thing about when uh, I grew up in New Mexico, they uh, they were really trying to get um, ad- admission up 
in the state of New Mexico, like they were trying to get people to go to New Mexico schools. So they had this, this program that was through the New Mexico lottery, like scratch off tickets and Powerball tickets and stuff is yeah, yeah. the actual lottery. Really? They, uh, they would, so if you graduated high school with a 2.5 GPA and you went in state, they would pay for your tuition to go. That no kidding. Badass. So, yeah, so I had all four years the tuition, my tuition paid for uh, all four years. And so basically I went and I shot horses for like, well, beer money, food, <laughs> rent, yeah. you know, stuff like that. And then I had my tuition paid for. So I went for four years and pretty much, pretty much put off life, real life for four years. And it was great. Like, cause a lot of like, to be honest with you, like a lot of the college classes uh, that I took should have probably been taught. That stuff should have been taught in high school. Like that's yeah. absolutely needed to know information for living your life. You know what, what I mean? What type of stuff so, was that? Uh, like all those business classes that that I took like like uh basic fundamental economics you know like supply yeah. and demand yeah. record keeping how to do your taxes <laughs> stuff like that like is is pretty uh I don't know it I just thought it was and I mean like I took a I took quite a few classes that were like statistics and uh kind of a drag uh, I guess like cal- calculus yeah stuff like that that sucks but a lot of that stuff was like po. I took a couple public ski- speaking classes. Um, I took a couple like animal science horse classes, like horse science classes, yeah, stuff like that. Um, but a lot of them, like a lot of those basic economic classes, they should be teaching you in high school instead of. Like, I wish I would have known like that. known about the lottery system. I would have moved to uh, New Mexico to get my college degree yeah well you you had to be you had to live in state you know what i mean oh. to get it so you okay. couldn't you you couldn't come from out of state but if you lived in state and you graduated in state then uh they would give you your tuition for free and all you had to do to keep it was like 12 credit hours which is like the minimum for a full-time college student anyway mm-hmm. and uh a 2.5 gpa which is like that's like straight C minuses. So yeah. pretty, uh, and you, you say that standards. it's like, kind of like that it put real life on hold for four years, but it's like, I don't know, man. It's like, maybe a sped, it sounds like it might've sped you up for you. Cause like you came out of high school, not knowing that stuff. It's like that could hold you back more than four years later in life. Getting fucked over oh, on yeah. your taxes and not knowing how to like run a business. Like that should slow you down for a while. Like, yeah, it might have, might have yeah, sped you it, up quite a bit. Yeah, it helped a lot, man. And I mean, just the simple fact of being able to grow up a little bit too. I think when you're, I mean, I graduated high school when I was seventeen. You know, you, when you're seventeen years old, you don't know a whole hell of a lot. You, think you don't you really do, know but... a lot. Yeah, you don't really know a lot when you're 22 either. But uh, at least you've got four more years under your belt of kind of being having your hand held and babied a little bit, and then they kick you out of survive after that yeah yeah and it was fun man like super met people from different places fun times yeah yeah you meet all kinds of people i met my wife there that's pretty cool uh i don't know it was a good it was a good super good experience and uh it kind of made me realize that 
I was pretty spoiled in the fact that I never had worked a job, really. And I didn't, college made me quickly realize that I didn't really want to ever work a real job. Oh, my God. Before. Or again, you know what I mean? So, pretty so much essentially, uh, you don't necessarily have like Why? a formal education in like farriery then, huh? No, I never went to school for, a, for any, I didn't go to horseshoe in school ever. I just apprenticed with my dad and uh, he, he kind of modeled how we did it as far as my apprenticeship over after like the English apprenticeship system. Like I didn't really get to do another step to horseshoeing until I got the first step down pat. You know what I mean? So like I started in high school when I could actually start using tools and was strong enough to, to work. Mm -hmm. uh, but I what age do like, you kind of think you were at that point? Uh, like 14, like, 15. Yeah. Yeah. 14 or 15. Like I would yeah. go with him. I would go with him any chance I got before then since I could barely walk, you know, but like, what are you going to do? Like I would knock nails out and probably chase barn cats and dig holes <laughs> and shit like that. You know what I mean? So, I'd catch horses and stuff, but yeah, probably 14 or 15, I actually started in on learning the trade. Yeah. For sure. So how long, I'm not necessarily like fully familiar with like how the English uh, apprenticeship system works and. Well, I, I think what, I mean, what he, what he did with me is I basically didn't move on until I did. I got that this the step that I was doing down pat. So it like went from uh, basically I started pulling shoes off, and it's like yeah. I didn't do nothing else until I could pull shoes off pretty easily and efficiently. And then once I pulled shoes off, then it was like you start flattening the shoes up, mm -hmm. and if you can bring them, you you kind of do that until you can bring a shoe to them that's flat. And it's yeah. like little, little baby steps like that. And then, then once you get past that step, then maybe you can, uh, start knifing some feet or, uh, rasping or something. So essentially like that, it was you know? like horseshoe in school, just, you know, taught by your dad. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, it was a, f it was definitely, I would say a four or a five year deal where it was like pretty serious where. I would go, I mean, I went to school obviously, but I would any day off I had or in the summer times, it was working pretty much him. working with him. Yeah. Every day. So. so how far away was, uh, like New Mexico state from like Edgewood? Uh, were you like able to, were you picking up horses by the time you graduated and like shooing some on your own? And then like, was the business different? Like when you would shoot some on the side when you're going to college? Or was it kind of the same region? Um, no, no, it was totally different. Like it's probably three and a half hours south, oh, yeah. straight south. So where I went to school is like right on the Mexican border. Um, okay. And Edgewood is like right in the middle of the state. So yeah, uh, it was totally different clientele. And like, I mean, school. I did a lot like shoeing horses down there. I did a lot of like uh college rodeo horses and did quite a few like we new mexico state had an equestrian team but like on an equestrian team you don't ride your own horse you ride the school's horses 
But a mm-hmm. lot of those equestrian team chicks had uh, their own personal horses down there that they could ride on the side. So I shot, I shot a bunch of those horses, and then I picked up. I would pick up a few like local horses too yeah. in the area that just like just I don't like know, a word why, of mouth type deal. Yeah, word of mouth thing. Like, and you just like, I mean, Rachel, my wife would, she worked for the school, and she would work like in the afternoons. Uh, for three or four, three hours in the afternoons every day. And like at the end of the week, she would have like 250 bucks or 200 bucks. And like I could wake up on Saturday morning <laughs> and go out hungover and shoe three horses and have 300 bucks. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It was Just like a day. Yeah, it was cake, man. So it was like, and I, it like, Shoeing horses part-time is hard, man, because I was like, I can remember, like, your hands are soft, oh, yeah. and you you aren't in shape for it, and you go out and do three horses in a, just <laughs> all at once at the end of the week, that sucks. Like, I oh, don't yeah. know how people, how people can do that on a normal basis, but uh, it it's was, rough. yeah, it was definitely kind of tough, <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I end up doing that sometimes, like, I... All like just on my calendar stacks up. Like I only average like two to three days a week under horses, anyways. So then I'll have like a yeah. week where like I have nothing, and then all of a sudden like I'll have a week with like five days, and like some of those days are just stacked up. It's like, oh, it kills me. Like it's not yeah. good for at all. Yeah, it sucks when you go on vacation, man, and you got four or five days away, yeah. and then you have to go back and slay a bunch when you get home. That's my least favorite part about vacations is <laughs> having to go back yeah. to work. Yeah, no joke. No joke. You had that sweet rig too in in uh, college. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, I just remember body. that, th- like the cow, the cowboy fucking deal, all slid, slid back. <laughs> yeah, yeah it looked like a cake. Looked like a cake feeder on there. That's what everybody would ask me in Crucis whenever I was in school. He's like, "You got a cake feeder on the back of that truck?" It's like, no, that's <laughs> fucking, it's a horseshoe rig. By God. <laughs> By God. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So me, uh, when I think my first semester down there, I started to get, or, uh, one of dad's customers had a daughter who was taking some horses down there to school and they wanted me to shoe them when I was down there. And that was like the first horses that I was going to shoe in at college. And so dad was like, well, you probably need something to shoe out of if you're going to do that. So we, uh, we made that, it's like basically a headache rack. And then we got that idea. Uh, there's a dude in Canada, Aaron Steves. He had Stonewell make him one of those uh, truck beds that slid out. And his, his the wheels were on the, on the bed of the truck. Mm-hmm. And so we, uh, we just kind of stole that design a little bit. And we just made a box, basically a two-foot wide box that was the width of the bed. And... Uh, it slid on the headache rack and it was perfect. Like you could put, I had a little spot for my shoeing box an anvil stand an anvil. And then the forge swung out from the side. And then I would keep a couple boxes of shoes in the floorboard on the passenger seat of my truck. And, uh, it was perfect to shoe out of cause you could just, you got to the stop and you roll it to the back and open up the door and go at it. Just kind of goes to uh, um, 
basically meaning you don't necessarily need a whole lot in the rig to, you know, get horses shot done well. Yeah. Yeah. No way. Yeah. And I had like a little, uh, anvil vice for Aspen and mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. just kind of go, go at it. It was pretty fun, man. Really. <clears throat> How much different is your rig now? Uh, Uh-oh. I got a Stonewell. I bought a, I have an eight foot Stonewell on, uh, an old 12 valve Cummins and I bought both of them cash. And, uh, I don't know the stone. What I like about the Stonewell is it's pretty, uh, empty. It's just got like, like it doesn't have a lot of walls or anything. It's just got the, it's got the shelves that face out the back and then it's mm-hmm. got one, one, uh, section like towards the driver's door, like at the very front, um, that's for your shoes. And then the rest of it's kind of empty and open. So, and I've got like on the passenger side, it's, uh, got a couple drill presses and a grinder and a buffer on there, but it's simple. And it's got an anvil swing out in the back, which no, it's it's not, yeah, it's easy. It's easy enough. And like the cool thing is it's paid for. And I, uh, the Stonewell's old, but it's in pretty good shape, and I think that it'll last a life. Those things last last a lifetime, man. It's crazy. Yeah, they're made pretty damn well. Like that's how I always think. It's like guys buy them and they keep on getting new ones. It's like, yeah, I, I don't know. They look pretty solid right right from the get go. <laughs> <laughs> what kind yeah, of yeah, uh, they're sweet, cool. man. What kind of horses are you kind of shooing in your everyday business now? Well, I guess we should talk about um your move from new mexico up to minnesota like how did you get to that point yeah so like when i finally i would say like my junior year of college i started to think about the future a little bit more and uh think about like if i'm gonna shoe horses uh for a life for a living that I probably need to exit New Mexico because New Mexico is like, it's got a bunch of stuff going for it. It's great. But, uh, as far as like any kind of wealth or, uh, income, it's not a great place, you know? So I think that if you want to get any kind of money to shoe horses, it's just not, not a great place. If you, if you have a fresh start and you can pick anywhere in the world, in the country to go, New Mexico probably wouldn't be a good spot. So yeah. I uh, I just knew that I had to get out of New Mexico if I wanted to uh, accomplish what I want to accomplish. So anyway, I basically started looking for places and uh, I kind of kept an eye out and I went to a few different places um, and rode with a few guys. And then my dad went to... Terry Dawkin. He's, I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys know him or not. Gavin, you oh, might yeah. know him. Yeah. You were around when Terry was around, but I don't know if Riley was. Um, yeah, I've met Terry uh, quite a few times. So. Oh, all right. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, he, he had been going to the WCBs and competing a bunch. And my dad went and hung out with him for a couple days after a contest. I think it might have been after Madison one year. Dad went up and Terry just wanted to pick his brain. And so dad kind of went and hung out with him for a couple of days. And, uh, Terry was just kind of telling him about how, uh, 
they were kind of shorthanded on farriers and he had a big old business and he was looking for some help. And so dad kind of mentioned that to me and, uh, we, so kind of back it up a little bit, but my, my dad is from Minnesota originally. My grandma and grandpa are both from like the Western side of Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he, he went to horseshoeing school here. Dad went to horseshoeing school here and he grew up, well, he, they, his parents moved when he was five years old to Albuquerque. Uh, okay. And so he, he's got a bunch of family here and I've, I mean, I, I've got a bunch of family here. I don't, I'm not real familiar with a lot of them. Um, but they're big farm families. And, uh, so when I was a kid, we would come up quite a bit and, uh, visit and if you're from the desert, when you come to a place that's got green grass, it's like heaven. <laughs> yeah. You know, and mosquitoes you're galore like, in the summer. Yeah. You're like, this is the greatest place on earth because it's got water and green grass. So <laughs> I always, and I always thought it was beautiful. Like what people don't realize about Minnesota is everyone thinks it's like Iowa, like flat and just cornfields. And it's really not. It starts to get into, uh, like it's a it's a real good mix of forest and farmland and uh river valley like there's yeah. the mississippi oh, yeah. the mississippi river goes through the minnesota river goes through and the st croix river all go through minnesota and it's the uh, land of 10,000 lakes right yeah there's lakes everywhere yeah lakes everywhere so it's a cool it's kind of a cool a cool spot and uh i knew that i knew from living in las cruces Going to school on the Mexican border, I knew that I didn't want to live somewhere that hot. So yeah. I yeah. just happened to choose a uh, lot colder place. But anyway, Terry was yeah, cool enough. Was... I talked to Terry. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> I talked to Terry on the phone, and he was cool enough to, like, offer to uh, give it, just let me give it a try. And so I, I flew up there my last year, or I guess it would have been my last semester of college. I flew up there probably four or five times and we shot horses on the weekend uh, just to make sure that we were going to like get along and it was all going to be good. And uh, he was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty cool dude. And I got along with him good. And were uh, you nervous at all on that first trip going up there? Oh yeah. Yeah. I was nervous because I didn't really like I'd met him and hung around him. And, uh, but I didn't really know a lot about him. And I, I'd been with a bunch of other fair, like a few other farriers shooing with them. So I kind of had an idea of what to expect, but, uh, I didn't really know. So luckily it all kind of fell into place and worked out. And I, I graduated in December, um, of 2014. And then I waited till May when the winter was over and yeah, me and Rachel idea. got the biggest budget rental car, rental truck we could get. And we put my Chevy on a car hauler trailer and drove up just one rig. So, yeah. Well, she, she drove her car behind, oh, Okay, but I drove a, the biggest, yeah, the biggest budget truck you could get. And then like those car hauler trailers, that was the, 
Like my Chevy is the longest possible pickup <laughs> you can get on one of those car homes. Yeah. Like the the tires were on all four corners of that sucker. <laughs> the whole the whole ass end hanging out the back. It was kind of crazy, but and luckily, what was cool is that that budget or the the rental car or the rental truck. It for some reason the governor didn't work on it so that sucker would do like 90 miles an hour really we, we smoked it up here it was pretty badass yeah. yeah, it could have been a cheap fuel bill on the way up yeah yeah it was pretty pretty expensive was that oh, well. pretty hard like sell to rachel that like hey at that point like she hadn't been there you're like yeah i know you're like from this hot like nice place we should go t- to the tundra <laughs> Yeah, to be honest with you, I laid it down pretty heavy right off the bat when we met. Uh, I met her and like when we started getting like a little more uh, into each other and stuff, I told her right off the bat, I was like, hey, look, I I don't want to go any further with this if you you don't want to move because... I'm moving as soon as college is done. I said, I'm getting out of here. So mm-hmm. if that don't seem like it works for you, then this probably ain't going to be a good deal. And so she, she kind of was hesitant at first, I think, but she warmed up to it. And I think like when I, when I finally decided that this is where we were going to live, uh, she started looking for jobs and she got a badass job with the federal government uh, right here in Minneapolis right off the bat. So, and I like, it's one of those opportunities that I don't think she could have ever gotten in New Mexico, you know? So it worked so out. They worked out too. well. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. It was kind of a leap of faith, man. Cause it was like, you don't really know what to expect. And I didn't have like, I mean, as you guys know, when you're shooting horses, you don't ever have like a, like a steady income, like when you're starting out. So I had to pretty much, I was pretty reliant on Terry to work for him at first. And then I kind of got the ball rolling from there, but I didn't really know what to expect. It was just kind of, just kind of took a leap of faith and it all worked out. Luckily. Had you and Rachel lived together before you guys moved to Minneapolis or? or yeah. Was that yeah, like so the first? I had this badass setup in Crucis where I rented this like mother's-in-law quarters. It was like a mini house. Um, and it was like, seriously, probably like a 10 by 12 house, like all by <laughs> yeah. itself. And it My was in this old tent that I forged out of is bigger than that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was in this, uh, this old school motel and they had converted it to a, to an apartment complex and it had like this little mini house in it uh out of the side of it and these people uh i rented this mini house for like 300 it was 300 bucks a month is what i paid for it (laughs) that is uh, cheap (laughs) and uh so then rachel rachel lived in this badass apartment complex that was all cushy over on the other side of town (laughs) she she had happened to just what you're having happened gavin and she her landlord was sold it so they oh. kicked her out like in the middle of her lease damn they, they just they just were like you got to move out and she was like all freaked out and kind of flustered and didn't know what to do so and about that same time those at the motel the old school motel um it was like it's like an old school motel with a garage 
and where you oh, could damn. like your your room came with a garage like in the 60s or whatever yeah. and they had Whoa. they'd converted the garage into another room and so you they had these apartments in there and about the time that rachel got kicked out one of those apartments came up for rent and it was like double like 600 bucks i think it was like six or seven hundred bucks and so rachel was like well you know we could just move into that together and it would be like the same rent and uh, i was like at first i was like no way I'm gonna, yeah. keep my, <laughs> I'm gonna keep my mini house and then she finally got her way and we moved into the apartment together <laughs> so, yeah so we we lived in the apartment like a year and a half maybe or yeah, maybe just a year. Uh, and then when we got done with school, like we had to wait. Like I graduated in December and I didn't move. We didn't move till May. So uh, when we went back to Albuquerque, we just split up and went back to our parents' house. So we didn't have to pay for an apartment for like four months. And uh, it was hard, man. Super hard. I bet. That was a hard. It was a hard four months because you're like all used to living with this person and you love them so much. And then you split up and she, she, she lived like 45 minutes away from me. So it wasn't terrible, but it still kind of sucked, you know, yeah, just, going just from far enough being your own yeah, adult yeah. to back to with your parents for. Yeah, exactly. You kind of get that. You kind of get that feeling like you're a bum and a failure too, you know, when you go <laughs> back and move in with your parents. But I mean, it was just for a few months and then we moved up here and, we caught a we just caught a lucky break on a a house up here that for rent too we were looking on Craigslist and when I came up to Shuateri one time I went and looked at it and uh it was perfect in the perfect place perfect place so we uh we kind of fell into that place too so it worked out good is that the place you're still currently in or did you guys end up buying a place i can't remember if you did or not yeah no we bought a place so uh, I don't know. I think 2018 is when we bought this house we live in now. We got just a little house on 10 acres, and it's a pretty badass place. And happy little house on the prairie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Awesome. Was that a part of your like? You said that, like when you're in college, you're like, oh, part of my like. I knew I couldn't stay in New Mexico because I couldn't get done what I wanted to get done. Was like buying a house and like starting a family was that was like a part of what you wanted to get done then huh yeah yeah absolutely man i think like for one rent i don't know like you go back and forth on rent and buying a house like you can look at it a couple different ways like you yeah you're in all this debt when you buy a house but on the other hand when you're renting a place you're like burning however much rent is every month oh yeah like yep yeah, and you're not getting anything out of it other than a place to stay, right? Which is pretty important, but you're not getting any equity into it either. So it's like, yeah, on one hand, it's great to rent and not have any risk involved. But on the other hand, it's like, it's better to, I think for us, it seemed like it was better to have a place and put that money into equity every month. And I mean, like, I won't lie to you, it was scary as shit. And I think... I, well, I know for a fact it would have been a lot harder for me to get a loan because, like, I make – I probably was grossing double what Rachel was. But since my income was self-employed income and her income has W-2s behind it, 
mm-hmm. she was the she was the main uh yep. she had to be the main signee on the lease or on the on the mortgage yep because like if i didn't have her it would have been way harder to get a mortgage by myself well and two like you know, you like mention of like, oh, both my trucks are paid for. I bought them outright. Well, like that is like, I agree with you. That's awesome. But in the bank's mind, yeah, they don't not care. that fucking awesome. They would rather if you, you bought it on payments and prove yeah. with credit history. Yeah. If you can't prove that your income is, is guaranteed and like this much every month, no problem. They don't care. They don't care how much you make. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So no, you got to like play, you got to play their stupid little games of like, so that's, we would love to buy a house, but we don't know where the fuck we want to be. And so it's like, that's like, this is a risk-free place that we could just drop and just move on wherever we wanted to. But at the same time, you got to like continue to build your credit. So then when you're ready to go, like you have great credit and you're ready to go, you're ready to get a loan. Well, like, well, then yeah. you got to play all the fucking stupid games of having credit cards open, paying yeah. them every month, you know, yeah. and just like keeping little bits on them. It's a, it's a fucking stupid little, you know, it dance. Is. It's dumb, man. It's retarded. I hated do. I hated that whole process and dealing with it. And like, Rachel, Rachel's super good at all that stuff. So it was good to have her because I, uh, I definitely wouldn't have been as on top of it as she was getting it all done, you know. It's the uh, kind of struggles that we're going through right now, like trying to figure that out. And thankfully for me, Ashley's on top of that, that side yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah. And they, ain't, they just ain't giving houses away these days no. either. So no, it's, it's turning uh, a little, it sucks, man. But it's, it's too, how hard was that when you guys moved there that you guys didn't have any help now? You guys pretty much moved away oh, from all your help. Yeah. Yeah. It's becoming more apparent every day, especially with, uh, <laughs> with Quincy. Like Rachel's mom, luck, luckily for us, Rachel's mom uh, was getting was getting ready to retire. And when we had Quincy, she uh, she just bit the bullet, retired, and she moved up here to be hang out with him. And she watches him with for us. So that uh, that's been crazy. How much help that is! It's huge. Yeah, for sure. And it's like. Yeah, I, I'm with you, man. It's it definitely like whenever I decide to move, I was like, oh, I don't need nobody. And then once you move, you're like, well, it'd be nice to have somebody around to help me <laughs> yeah. do this or do that or just go and drink a beer with every once in a while. You know, it's like I miss my I miss my family, no doubt. It sucks. That part sucks, but. Oh, it, it is like, I remember the first time I got a flat tire, like we moved, we're, we live like two and a half hours away. The first time I got a flat tire is on the side of the road and Chelsea was gone somewhere. I was like, wow, no one's fucking coming. <laughs> I got, you don't got anybody to call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're on your own, man. It's what it is, huh? So you yeah, think but it's probably like a good, it was like good lesson or like you, you obviously didn't fail at it though. It's like you had to just... Yeah keep moving ahead yeah i mean we're still still rocking on i don't know it's like i think by now by now we're pretty used to it you know just kind of i don't know we always we always kid around and make fun of each other because neither of us have got really any friends like local (laughs) friends you know yeah but it's like that's kind of what horseshoeing i mean i don't know i like when you hang around horseshoers 
you don't really like any other people because they're weak-hearted for the most part. So it's like yeah, they're different. You get, yeah, you get used to hanging around horseshoes, and it's like that's who I like to be friends with. Anyway, so. So you think uh, Quincy's gonna end up being a horseshoer and following you guys' steps? I don't know, man. Kind of have to too see. Early he to sure tell. likes the beach. He likes to beat shit with hammers right now. I can tell you that. So. <laughs> yeah, he I thought that was really cool. Everything he can. Thought that was cool. That little anvil and uh, anvil stand that your dad made for him. That was pretty cool to see. Yeah, dad's been tricking him out. It's pretty badass. We have it here <laughs> in our living room, and he he whips on that thing pretty much every chance he gets. So, um, when did you kind of first start like? getting into like competitive horseshoeing and going to horseshoeing contests then um well the first one i ever went to was oklahoma yeah i'm pretty sure it was the oklahoma contest it would have been 2012 i think oh shit uh, so you were young then huh or no yeah i mean i was yeah you'd have i to was be like 20, 20 20 years old yeah so i wasn't i was pretty old like I didn't, to tell you the truth, uh, when I was in high school, I didn't make shoes hardly at all. Like I never did. I never was, dad was always out in the shop. He was always doing stuff, making shoes. Um, and I rode, I rode my horse quite a bit. Like when I was in high school, I was into riding horses. So that's what I would do. And, uh, uh, so I never, I really wasn't ever in the shop. And then like, it didn't really hit me until I started to think about doing this for a living. I was like, well, I'm kind of behind the eight ball because if I'm going to do it for a living, I need to get into competing and shoemaking. And, uh, this is kind of part of it all. So how hard was it to make like that transition into like making that decision? Like now is the time I need to get on that eight ball and like dedicating yourself to it at that point um like once i like once we did once i decided i was going to go to oklahoma it just kind of was like anything else you just kind of start doing it a little bit at a time i had uh i would make shoes a little bit out of the back of my truck at that apartment complex um and then whenever i was home i would make shoes but to be honest with you i went and uh andrew Andrew Wells whipped my ass at Oklahoma that first one. He's got the <laughs> buckle. He's got that buckle from that first one I ever went to. And then uh, and then I went the next year and I won the the novice or whatever at the next one. Okay. And then it just kind of went from there. And then luck, like, luckily I was fortunate enough, Calgary was still happening in those days. And my dad was still going full wide open to Calgary. And, uh, like I, I didn't deserve it and I probably shouldn't have gone, but, uh, I mean, I was going anyway. I went to Calgary pretty much all the years that dad ever went, but, uh, like those, I don't know what years they would have been exactly, but it would have been like maybe 2013, 2014, something like that. Oh yeah. Um, Cause didn't you do like the three man draft with Chad and your dad? Yeah. Or the no? four man, it was a four man draft. Yeah, so I got to compete a couple times there, which uh, which was real awesome. Like the first year, the first year I went, the shoes were crazy tough. So I did like the heart bar class, which was like the twenty minute Eagle Eye heart bar class, 
and I did the four-man draft, and then I did the, the I think there was a two-man. I did the two-man shoe or horseshoeing with Dad. I think those were the only classes I did. I didn't do any of the forging classes, and then uh, then the next year I went. I did them all, and uh, it was fun, man. Super good, like just hanging around all those dudes is pretty badass. But like I said, I was nowhere near probably deserving talent-wise to be there, but I got to go. Was it invitational at that point? No, not invitational. No, I think I'm sure that they had a limit, and I don't, to be honest with you, I don't know if they ever got to their limit or not, but Mm. um, I always got in because I was Craig Turnka's son, so there. (laughs) That's something like Riley and I have talked about, you know, like, amongst ourselves and uh with some other people is like that kind of ended kind of once we got like fixated on it and like wanting to get into it and that would have been kind of something cool to go and go and see oh it was yeah it was incredible man i've seen some of the craziest shit ever there like they're badass like you'll there's all kinds of stories i'm sure you'll hear from a bunch of people but like probably one of the like i like i say i've been going since i could probably walk up there but Mm -hmm. um one of the most incredible things that I've seen when I was like coherent, like, and could understand what was happening was, uh, one of the, I think it might've been the last is the second to last year. I think that I, that it, they had like the full contest, um, was when Verini, Verini won and he won the top five horse and he nailed his hind shoes on nailed and finished them in four minutes and won holy shit both both of them. both both hind shoes yeah jesus pretty that uh, whipping. pretty incredible man and that was like that year they had the last few years they had the blind judging so they'd lead the horse uh once you when you wanted it judged they'd lead it away into a tent into the judge's tent and oh. so they would lead it into the tent and they judge it and like God knows how long it would stand in there. You know what I mean? Like however long they wanted to judge it. And, and time uh, kept rolling. Yeah, time kept rolling, man. So Verini gets his shoes fit up and sends it in. And it takes it took him a long time to get it judged and sent it back out. I'm we seen it with our own eyes, man. Four minutes. He nailed and finished him and won. And it was like though in that that con or those days, they would reset your scores. Um, in the top 10 and in the top five. So once you made the top 10, it was clean slate. And then once Everyone's you made the top zero five, at that point. it was clean slate again. So basically, once you're in the top five, it was whoever shot the best two feet won. Damn. That's wild. And, uh, yeah, and that he, he nailed and finished in four minutes, and we were like, you go over there, and <laughs> they were perfect nail lines, clinched, badass. It was a badass shoeing job, man. Pretty cool. Well, for all them things to line up like that, you know, basically everything has to be there in order for it to go that quick, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, as well as anybody, it's got to fit for it to go on like that. So, yeah, that would be pretty sweet to see. <laughs> when you started, when you started making shoes, like, and going and making shoes with your dad, like, obviously he was probably pretty pumped that you were wanting to do it. Was there a time where you were like, he's too pumped, I don't want to make shoes with him? Like, you would rather make shoes out of the back of your truck than have your dad, like... Um, yeah, I was like, like... in this, like, always shooting information at you nonstop. Yeah, I think, like, 
me and my dad get along super good because I'm kind of passive and he's kind of high strung. So we we <laughs> we like mix that. pretty good. But I would he definitely he we definitely butted heads in the sh- like when he was teaching me how to make shoes and forge and stuff. Yeah, there was some times, and I I mean, I probably wasn't the best learner on the whole world, but like we we butted heads like you'd think a father and son would on stuff like that and it was like i mean i don't know i can't really say it could have been better it could have been worse but i think that it just kind of was what it was you know but it was i mean i'm i like i think that i would get i'd get pissed and then i'm one of those people that thinks about it a lot after it happens and then once it uh once i kind of get over the fact that i'm pissed then i start to realize that hey you probably should have done what he was telling you and then I do what he was saying and then it kind of goes on, you know, but it's tough. And I think like I've, I've learned from a bunch of different people and that's kind of made me who I am. I'm not just like a carbon copy of my dad, you know? So, uh, I've learned quite a bit from him. Like I've learned a shit ton from him, but I've also learned a bunch from other people too. So it, uh, yeah. I don't know. A little bit at a time. Yeah, as you had you had money living super close, you know. So like, yeah, got to work yeah, with him we, a bunch. Yeah, yeah, we did the draft, the draft shoeing or the draft shoe making at convention. I don't know what year. I'm not that good with years, but I think it was probably 2015, maybe or 2014. No, it must have been 2014 because it was before we moved up here, and I would go. I'd go to Money's house. Well, we'd swap off. He would come to my house, and we would go. I would go to his house, and uh, in the mornings, like five in the morning, and we'd make draft shoes. And it was pretty badass. Like I learned a bunch doing that. And we went to convention. That was that was the year that he won convention. Um, yeah, and I that would have been like 2014 uh, Kansas or City then. Yeah, Kansas City. Yep. Yeah. And so like that, that was huge. And, uh, that's kind of what I started. What was kind of different about how I started making shoes is I made from doing the draft shoe making contests, uh, at Calgary, like the draft shoe. And I started making horseshoes, draft shoes. Mostly is what I started on straight off like, the bat. Like, just making that. Yeah. Inch. Well, inch and a quarter horseshoes. Like I started out of, like most of the shoes I made when I started were out of half my inch and a quarter. My dad always Jeez. thought that it was easier to fix your mistakes on big steel like that instead of like you can't hit quarter by three quarter very much before it's totally wrecked, you know? Yeah. So you can go you can go back over half my inch and a quarter a million times and it's really not wrecked. So that uh that was where I started and that's why uh when I did my CF shoe board, uh, I made them out of draft shoes. That's what I did. That was, makes sense. That makes sense. I remember seeing when you had posted that shoe board when you had passed it, and they all looked like pretty big size shoes. Yeah, yeah, they were all out of half by one. Maybe there's a couple out of inch and a quarter, but they were mostly out of half by one, I think. Well, that's pretty sick. It's impressive. Yeah. What type of things did your dad like? 
and money them like push on you the most when you were forge like learning how to forge oh i i can remember it used to piss me off so much and dad will probably laugh at this but he used to tell me that i didn't have uh i didn't know any basics he used to tell me that all the time like you don't you don't really have a foundation you don't know no basics i was like all right well i'm gonna learn the basics and watch yeah. and so that's kind of like i think that's kind of shaped me to who I am today and like any contest that I judge or clinic that I do, I always just try and hammer, hammer home the basics. Cause it's like that, uh, that was something that money and dad really taught me a lot about is like, just do the basics and you'll do pretty good. Most of the time, you know, it was a lot of like, like shaping horseshoes, like horses feet and putting the nails down the middle and just doing little stuff that is basic horseshoe making. And, so you uh, think by just seeing like, you know, over the years from like Chris and your dad, uh, just by watching them that you were able to kind of get an understanding of the basics or did you have to go out and like try to search and like figure out what those basics were? Um, yeah, I think like I did a bunch, I did a bunch of kind of soul searching when I got to Minnesota and learned a bunch just on my own because I had a lot of free time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like my dad tells people all the time, like I was taught how to shoe horses by horseshoers and a lot of horseshoers are taught how to shoe horses by horse owners, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I think, I think that gave me a huge boost and it gives anybody who's like second generation horseshoe a huge leg up is that you really, I really had never had to meddle with, with dealing with horse owners like that, you know, like telling me to take the toes shorter or else I was going to get fired. Cause I mean, yeah. even I, I deal with that a little bit up here, but honestly, I don't have a high tolerance for it. And I, I know that I don't need income that bad to, to deal with people like that. So they usually get kicked out the back door pretty quick take some guts to be able to stand up for yourself and, you know, and like not have such a, uh, be enslaved to people like that. You know, some people just suck yeah, it up for years and years and then, you know, eventually there's, yeah, I mean, sucked into it. I, and I'm not above it. Like, I think if you, if you need money, I mean, you need money. That's, that's the yeah. part of it. And if you think you need that, that barn enough to take shit like that, then I think that's what you got to do. I'm, I'm not saying that's wrong, but I just growing up, like I did and with the people around me that I had around me, I just have never been in that mindset to, to, uh, take that from customers. And it's probably not, I, I've never, never, uh, claimed to have the best, um, business skills as far as people skills go. So that, uh, that's probably hurting my business model a little bit, but I, oh well. <laughs> I mean, you do have a I'm business this, degree, so I'm in the same. Dude. I'm in the same boat, though. I'm not. I don't have the best bedside manner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all good. Whatever. There's got to be some. So when you got, them. yeah, when you got out of college then, and you knew you were going to start shoeing horses, like make this a career more. Like, is that when you took on more of a role with the WCB? Um. I mean, no, nah, not really. 
I think I, honestly, it's probably hurt my role with the WCB moving, you know, like I, I felt like I was way more helpful to my dad and Chris when I was lived there, you know, I yeah. could do way more stuff. It's a lot harder, even just like the communication aspect of it's hard when you're far away. Cause you're not getting to talk to them. Like just like I used to be around my dad all the time, you know, you'd talk to him every day, a bunch. And it's like now could go two or three days without talking to him. And then you can't remember everything you wanted to talk to him about, you know? So I think that that, that hurts it some. And, but I think we make it work, you know? When about did, uh, did you kind of start getting into like the role that you have now? Like how long had the WCB been going on until like where you are not at now with the, uh, the WCB? Uh, I think for the most part, as long as it's been going on, like I, I mean, like they did no, none of us really knew if I was going to be a horseshoe or even compete when they started the WCB, you know what I mean? So it was like, kind of, I mean, not that that needed to be on anybody's minds, but so that's kind of how it led to, um, like to where we, uh, to where we are now. So like, I don't compete at the individual contest because I don't think that that's a good, uh, a good mix of business and, uh, the competition side. I just don't, I don't think that's a good, that's a good mix for me to, uh, to dip my toe in the, in the individual side. I have gotten to compete at the, at the team contest and I really enjoy that. And the way that we keep that a little, little more split is I've really never been a part of any of the planning or the record keeping or the scoring or anything on the, of the team contest. So, but in the, in the individual contest, like I have my hand in a lot of the scoring and, uh, just a lot of some of the stuff that goes on at the contest. And I just, I just would rather myself keep it. Yeah. The music (laughs) just rather keep it separate. I think that, I mean, I just, I don't know. I think that it's best to keep it separate, you know? So, well, and I, I think it's like, it's, it, it's probably more in your head. Like I want to, it's probably more in your head than it is everybody else's head. Like if you won, I know, like, I would never be like, oh, well, you know, they, they gave Bodie some favor. And I think especially, like, now you've gone to multiple, like, contests that are not WCB affiliated in any way, you know, <laughs> at the AFA and done pretty damn well. So it's, like, not a shock when you do well somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is what it is, man. And I told Jesse, and we, we kind of talked to Levi about this, too, whenever he – because he competed in Fort Worth. But Jesse – came up to me in Fort Worth and asked me why I didn't compete. And I was like, I told him, I was like, well, Jesse, you probably, you don't want to see me when I want to beat you. Like, <laughs> I'm going to be a big old dickhead to you. And I don't like, that's, that's not a good mixture when you're trying to get people to come to your venue. You know what I mean? Like, that is a good way so, of putting it. So it's like when you got, when you're competing, I mean, I've got a little different, outlook on how I act to people than when I'm not competing. And I think that 
I don't want that to interfere with the welcomingness of the WCB. You know what I mean? And being a like being a part of the main group of the WCB, I don't want that to to and I think I mean I think I can control it, but I also I don't want it to to smear the lines at all, you know? It's hard. I think like it's hard, man. When you're when I, I just when people We're there are to, you're there to are compete, competitive right? to yeah when people are competitive with each other it's like it's a little different mindset than when you're just there to hang out and have fun you know yeah everyone else is going there to compete and do well so that's just kind of like the mindset in which everyone's basically there to do is compete you know? yeah yeah absolutely so what no, do you it's, uh it's it's def it's definitely a, a harder thing though i'm sure it's like because you are a competitive person and it's like you have to stand around the whole, like you know and you're not standing around but you're like you have to watch everybody else compete and so yeah, it has well, to be hard to like you want to get in there and do it yourself you know so but yeah i do i, I, I do I but it's like from. on the other hand it's been 15 years and i haven't competed at them at all so yeah you know, like on one hand it does suck but on the other hand it's like pretty used to not doing it so it's like it's not really that big of a deal you know oh for sure just wearing a different hat do you think also it's like giving you a different perspective also though uh, oh absolutely i think it's helped me a bunch because i can i mean when also on the other hand when you're not competing you have that different mindset to where yep you can observe quite a bit you know and you don't have anything else on your mind and you're not like for me when i'm not competing i don't really care who does good or i mean like i have buddies and stuff that i want to that i want to do that i want them to do good but i don't really i think i have a way more like unbiased outlook on everything and i can see stuff for what it is and see where people struggle and it's like i don't know me and dad if we've watched a shitload of horseshoe contests and you start to see trends and what most people do you know where they mess up and you try and put that into your own game plan and not not do what the norm is you know what do you think is a big thing that you uh would see as far as like a trend that w probably hurts people when they're competing um like in what what aspect i don't know during like, like a go like something that you see like uh commonly amongst like a group of people or whatever that you have like implemented into your like practice or whatever so that you don't necessarily fall into that trap. Um, well, I mean, like as far as shoeing goes, I would say that, uh, people taking way too long to trim their foot and not making their shoe fast enough. And then like messing their offset up, that's a pretty common thing. I think the biggest the biggest thing, and like everybody that comes to my house, uh, I always tell them, like the fastest the thing you should be fastest at is your horseshoe the shoemaking part. If you're gonna in the shoe and go, like that shoemaking should be mindless, and you should be able to do it efficiently and super fast. Because if mm -hmm. you can do that fast, the rest of the go. Well, it'll leave you more time to do the good, the hard stuff and the rest of the go. But if you make the shoemaking take a lot of time and be hard, 
then that means that you haven't practiced enough and you're going to get what you get in the later part of the go because the the one thing you can't control in the horseshoe and go is what foot you draw right so it's like if that foot's hard to fit then you should probably leave yourself ample amount of time to fit it and when you take six or seven heats to make a three-quarter fuller shoe and it takes you 40 minutes to make it you're just you're i see it time and time again you're you're you already lost before you started yeah that's pretty good uh you know wisdom for anybody else that you know is trying to get into the competitive world or whatever and is thinking about going to their first horseshoeing competition right so when you're doing your guys like team goes how much time are you aiming for on your trim and on your shoemaking? Like, let's just say fast, tool and folder. Fast day. as humanly possible. <laughs> but <laughs> the trim, like the trim shouldn't take you any more than 10 minutes, I don't think. Like maybe a draft trim, maybe a little bit more. But we try and trim. Uh, like when I have, like I've had the Cat 2 team come a couple times to the house and I always tell them like, the, those are the two things the two things that you can be super fast at and leave yourself time and the rest of the go is trimming because you do that every day and shoemaking, which you should be doing every day. So mm-hmm. it's like if you can do those two things super fast, then it leaves you a lot of time to fit and score points where it's like if you take the second you start taking 20 minutes to trim your foot and 40 minutes to make your shoe, then you're sucking eggs, man. You're not doing yeah. very good. Where do you think so people like, get lost at on their trim the most? Uh, well, we talked about it at the team practice a couple, uh, about a month ago now, I guess, is when we met the team practice. We we had some horses with some foot, and Tom and I were talking, like, you have to be, you have to get good enough to trim in where you can lop shit off as fast as humanly possible and get down to the point scoring fast. Like, you see people pick a foot up, and they like start whittling on it <laughs> and you're like that dude's never gonna get that foot trim because <laughs> he's already if you take if you take an eight minutes to whittle on the sole and the frog like without even taking a nip or starting to get it flat you're gonna take forever so like you gotta if you have some foot on your horse like i think you gotta throw caution to the wind Make sure you don't mess nothing up, but get a bunch knocked off of there all at once. And then then start whittling if you have time at the yeah. end. But I, I don't, I'm not into that whole, like, pick it up and start whittle on it right off the bat. Like, I usually try and get it shaped, get it flat. And then, well, I mean, usually I pick up a foot and I'll trim the frog, like, right off the bat. Just get the rough frog trimmed in so I know where my foot's pointing. And mm-hmm. then from there... Then I just try and get it shaped, nip it if I need to, get it shaped, try and get it flat, and then I go to cleaning up the bottom of it. But I just, whatever you do, and like Chad, Chad talks about it a bunch too. He talks about setting a, a timer in your shoeing box every day and just timing yourself trimming a foot every day and see how long it takes you to do it, you know? And like you should be, you should be in that eight, 10 minute range. That's, I know for me, it's like, I, I get lost in the fucking bars 
It's yeah. like the bar, the bars will suck a lot of time for me. And it's, they're the one thing they're like, I think I can like come back from like taking too much on some parts, but it's like, once the bar is gone, it seems like it's just gone. So like when you're going to the bars, it sounds like you're going to them towards the end of the trim. Like yeah, I do because knocked out. Yeah, because I think when you trim the bars and then you have to nip the heels or rasp the heels back, then you have to trim the bars all over again. Yep. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's like yeah, definitely. I I try and just smoke, make sure you have the heel where you want it before you start trimming the bars. That's what I always do. And you point. talked about like the main points on your trim. So like what are those main like points that you're trying to nail, like the main scoring points? Uh, I think I think I mean, for me as a judge, flat is the biggest, probably the biggest one. Um, I don't really, like, to me as a competitor, shape is huge. But as a judge, I don't really care. You shape it however you want. If you don't fit it, I'm going to give you a five. You know what I mean? But yeah. it's like, so, like, I don't, some people hit them in the, in the trim for shape. And I'm like, I, you shape it however you want to shape it. I don't care, but. If you don't fit it, <laughs> you're going to yeah, get hammered. <laughs> That's so, interesting as far as like what you say about the shape, go, how, you know, between the two. As a, com- as a competitor, I think shape is super important because if you don't shape it good, you're not going to fit it, you know? So, I, uh, but I, I think you should worry about flat. Flat is a big thing. And when I was, when dad was teaching me how to, how to trim feet for contests. That's what he would always say. Like, don't worry about nothing else. Just try and get it flat right off the bat. Like if you can, and I like when at the classic, it was pretty cool whenever Jim Blurton would come over on that team. And I noticed that Jim would do it the most, but especially on the draft feet, he would get it, try and get it flat without trimming it, without trimming anything. And like, Just go with, straight like to getting he'd the plane, foot flat. The sole, the, he'd plane the sole, the bars, everything flat right off the bat. And then he would whittle it all out after it was flat. Because you think about it, especially on draft feet, if you get the most foot you can in the bottom, that'll get it the flattest, right? So, uh, it worked, I mean, it works pretty good, especially if you got uh, a big old, like a huge draft foot like that. If you just go to getting it, try and get it flat right off the bat with as wide a hoof fall as you can and as much sole and bars in the way as possible, like you just get it all flat. It works pretty good. Out That's of the, a good one. Out of the three like uh, disciplines on the team format, which one would be like your favorite one to do then out of like the hunter, roadster, and draft? Um, I think honestly the probably the Tom Fullard – has gotten to be my favorite because it's the one I sucked at the most. So I tried to work at that one the most and, uh, money, money has helped me tremendously with that, with those shoes and not really like, I mean, he's given me pointers and stuff, but just getting to watch him and getting to follow him, making those shoes. Like you learn a lot about making them and, uh, yeah, it's just um, it's made me it's made it kind of a fun class because those shoes. What's cool about those shoes is the nicer you can make them off the hammer, the better 
they look rasped up too. You know what I mean? You, it's more fun to rasp them when you can make a nice one off the hammer. Because there's least least amount of rasping, right? Yeah, I mean, it's well, really, I mean, you, there's a bunch of rasping in them no matter what. But it's like it's just fun to doll them up when you know it's going to be when you can see the finished product off the anvil, right? Yeah, it makes oh, it a man. little more fun than than rasping a big old turd. And just when you have you like can... a fucking half inch thick like inside rim and you're like yeah, yeah. fuck <laughs> this is gonna blow <laughs> yeah yeah what are some of the things you picked up for money on those shoes because they are dude they're yeah. like so many details in them it's just they make you feel yeah. like shit every time <laughs> yeah yeah it sucks man they're hard they're hard to make no i think money just like I mean, you guys seen money's work. It's always like super smooth and nice bends. And I think that's super important in the tool and fuller, like not to ever kink it, just put nice soft transitions in them. Um, clipping. He's helped me a bunch with the clipping. Um, just like, yeah, that's a pain. Push in the ass. Yeah. Just kind of pushing those little tails back into the section a bunch before you draw your clip. Like after you draw your source. <laughs> right yeah um yeah it's so hard just little stuff little stuff like that making the heel like putting a hunter heel on there that will actually go on a foot and be easy to rasp up um that is super fucking hard like that's we've we've been like i I was just messaging money last week or something about it's like dude i i feel like i don't know what an inside wedge should even fucking look at at this point like i i'm so lost of yeah and i mean you look at those you look back at those World Horseshoe and Classic pictures of the feet and stuff on Facebook, and they uh, there's wedges of every shape and size, man. But I think yeah, I think the biggest thing that we try and shoot for is have slope on both ends, and uh, I mean, ideally you want to have a similar slope to your foot on your wedge. Hind feet, it's a little harder to judge what that slope may be sometimes, you know. Um, but at any rate, I think you want to have a wedge with enough mass to where you can rasp them a little shorter if you need to, and you can rasp a good slope into the, the back edge of the wedge. And Mm -hmm. I mean, ideally you want to have the front match the back edge slope, right? Makes sense. Yeah. That's what we shoot for. And I mean, I think there's, I mean. You see people put roadster wedges on them. I, that's a weird thing. That's a weird thing. <laughs> the big old, like, there's been some people put some big old teepee, like, big-ass teepee wedges on there, you know, like, that are like super spikes. long. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I think you just want it to look appealing to the eye. But I think you do want, you definitely want cut on the heel. That's important. <laughs> So what do you like to do more? Would you rather compete or would you rather judge? Oh, compete. Way definitely compete. Yeah. <laughs> judging. I had a judging feeling that's sucks, what that answer man. was going to be. <laughs> yeah, I don't I'm not into judging that much. I uh I don't know. It doesn't I, feel I mean, good I, for it doesn't feel good for business, does it? Like no. you go somewhere you're like, I don't think anybody likes me anymore. <laughs> like I yeah. don't I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like I don't know. I I have to tell myself that not everybody is as like into it or motivated 
um, to do it. You know what I mean? Because it's like, it's hard, it's hard to judge people who don't care that much as well, you know? Cause yeah. it, for as many, for as many people as you're going to have there that put in a lot of time and effort into it, there's just as many people that don't. So it's hard that way too, you know, cause you're like, I don't know. I, I always think to myself, like, I wish I was competing here because I'd whip your ass because you didn't put in very much effort. <laughs> so how many, uh, how many years have you been on the American Farriers team now? Well, I did it for four in a row. And then I took that year of coronavirus, just hap- happened to step away from it that year, which turned out to be pretty good because they didn't get to do nothing for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and then just made it again in November. So this would be my fifth. So out of the, uh, the five times, is there any one year that's probably the most memorable to you? Or probably well, I the can't biggest really, impact? Yeah, I can't really think about, I can't really count this year because it hasn't really happened yet. But mm-hmm. I would say that the, fir- the first time I was on the team was incredible, man. Like I made it with uh, Tim McPhee, my dad, Jeremy. Uh, Jeremy Scudder, and Chad Chance was the alternate, and Andrew Wells was the second alternate. And uh, it was just awesome, like super awesome. I can remember going – we went to Chad's for the first practice, and I was like probably more nervous than I'd ever been for anything at that practice. And they they tuned on my ass pretty much – from sun up to sundown and it was pretty it was i mean it was great like when you when you finally i mean when you get to that to that spot i think that that's what everybody wants is to get better so uh, absolutely and they they like they started it's just amazing how much like they start opening your eyes to little little knowledge that you had no idea about that totally transforms the way you look at feet and horseshoeing in general, like just, just crazy, crazy, badass things that they taught me that like, I mean, just, they're probably super simple things now, but to me then they were like huge eye openers and like that. I probably, I probably got probably got more out of that year than any year since you know like you're the learning the the rate of learning was so high that year for me unreal so i remember like a few years ago um i think uh we were in chattanooga and at this point i think you would kind of like change like into the that was the year like the two people got to stay on the team right from the following year and so you'd kind of like taken like a leader uh, role, I guess, at that point, because you and somebody else had stayed on and we were at the meeting and I vividly remember you saying like, if you guys are here for this meeting because you want to be on the American Farriers team, if you have a hobby, if you have a boat this summer, you're not going to be on that fucking boat. You're going to be in the shop practicing shoes like that's just the way it's going to be. And. I kind of like looked around at the room at that time to like see like how many people like were like scoffing at it or whatever, but really like that's the reality in which it should be. Like if you're stepping up to be 
for this point, like you need to be putting in the time because we're all the other four of us are doing the same thing. Yeah, absolutely, man. And it gets like, that's, it's the truth. It's like, you think about it, you're, you're one of five farriers in the country that's on the American farriers team. And so if you're on a team that's supposed to be elite like that, I think that you should probably dedicate yourself at least that year to that, that task at hand. And it's amazing how many people, uh, don't do that. It's kind of the curse of the AFT. Um, and I think that they say that they made it basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's like, yeah, you made it, but anybody who's ever been on there knows that that's basically the starting point. You, you don't really make it to, uh, to say you made it, you made it to actually get better to win, (laughs) you know? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And it's like, when you, when you like, when I, when I did, when I had that little talk at the, at the, the, whatever it was, the, the meeting beforehand, like you go over to England and I mean, everybody, anybody who's been on the AFT, you know, will say the same thing, but you go over to England and get the ever loving piss stomped out of you every year and you just get pissed about it you know what i mean yeah and it's like like you don't want to be on there with somebody who doesn't have the same motivation and will that you have to to make shoes like every day like we're talking it's a pretty big commitment you know you don't want to let your other guys down and sometimes you're on there with somebody who doesn't care and it's like that gets disheartening after a while what uh like where you're at now what does your like kind of like practice regimen look like like how often are you building are you still building shoes like every day or is it like four or five days a week or how does that kind of go for you yeah i would say like i would say depending on what time of year it is um it can go from every day to probably four days a week or so so like right now or the past maybe month or so, it's kind of been probably lo- closer to four or five days a week, um, like some before convention or like before a practice or uh, like we go to the classic, it'll be every day for sure. I'll try and get out there. I'm pretty, pretty like regimented in the fact that I know, I just know myself and I know that if I'm, if I don't feel prepared, by the time the contest comes around, I won't do good. So I've just learned to make sure that I've prepared myself to where I think I'm prepared enough to go and do good. So you, like you, you try good to come into that same, that same mindset going to a practice that you want to show up to a practice prepared. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you definitely do. Cause nobody, I mean, those guys, especially this year, the, that team that we got this year, those guys, are coming in prepared so yeah you're i mean like honestly i try my best to just hold on for dear life at every practice because money (laughs) just pretty much stomps me into the ground (laughs) whips the shit out of me every go and it's like all right let's try another one i got another one (laughs) do you do you think it's weird like you you've been to a bunch of colleges that's something i was thinking of when you were talking about like how the AFT works. I was like, do you think it's weird that we decide these teams 
through individual contest instead of getting these teams made through like how people work on a team. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think it is a little weird. I, th- I mean, I think that the WCB you're constantly doing two man goes that helps quite a bit. Um, I, uh, I don't know, man. It's hard. Like I do, I would encourage anybody to get on a team just, just have chosen like a pick team like you guys are on. Like I think yeah. there's there's no better way to learn how to compete and how to shoe horses than be on a team like you guys are on. Like there's just oh, no I better agree. way that you're gonna that you're gonna elevate your skills. You can't do it by yourself. You can't do it at a forge night once a month. You can't do it any other way faster than being on a team with guys because you just I mean, you just you got three other dudes that are counting on you to do good, and when you don't, they get pissed, you know? Yeah. Well, I think so. that a lot of it is like that when you're on an individual, even though it's like if, going to an individual WCB, I'm a little bit like, well, I'm just letting myself down. I'm just taking from myself. It's easy to be selfish while you're there in an individual go, even when you're doing the two man, you're like, well, he's just my fucking striker. It doesn't matter what he's doing anyways, where then you go to a four man. It's like each guy matters. Each guy's time matters. And you have to get the fuck out of the vice. You got to get out. Like you got to get off the horse. Like it, it is a completely different deal. I, it, it helps me a ton. Cause I, there's ball spots. I was really sucking ass at and competing. It's not like I'm great now, but it helps having somebody that depends on me. Or the count oh, on me. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's like, yeah, I think you ain't worth your salt if you don't like if that don't push you forward like it should. Like you should you should try and be striving to be great for yourself, but you also need to be great for your teammates too. That's a pretty important part. Like I think that's what's cool when you're on a really good team. That's what's cool is all four guys are that way, you know? They're all, yeah. uh, nobody wants to let anybody else down. And I think I've been lucky enough to be on a few teams like that. And it's pretty awesome feeling, no doubt. So how do you, how do you handle it all? Like it's so like right now, man, you got like a lot on your plate of just like, you got the WCB that you feel like you don't want to let down and help going. You got Rachel and Quincy and you got this team like that. That's a lot in a business on top of it. So, like, how do you kind of manage it? Yeah, it's a bunch, man. I don't know. You just kind of just can't really be weak-hearted, and you got to do it all, you know? I think I think people can come up with a million excuses on why they don't want to do something or why they don't want to get out. Um, but it's like just kind of got to put your head down and keep on pushing. It's all priorities, you know? If you don't, if you don't have – your priorities set in the right spot, then you're not going to do it. You know, it's, I don't know. I think that just kind of try and get it all in. I mean, there's people don't, there's people that are way busier than I am. Like you talk to Jim poor, you talk to my dad. (laughs) Like I can't, I don't even compare in comparison to those dudes. And that's like, that helps me. It helps me a bunch whenever I, feel like I'm overwhelmed is like you just think about people like that and you're like you ain't got 
half the shit they got going on. So <laughs> it's kind of like you know. when we uh, talked with Andrew Nielsen, like he talked about the number of horses yeah. he shoes and then still practices. Yeah. And it's like, geez, Louise, man, like that's nuts. It's just a matter yeah, of I mean, wanting you, to do it and doing it. Yeah. If you want to do it, you'll do it. And if you don't, you probably won't. So I don't know, man. I think it's, that's, what's cool. That's what's cool about hanging out like at WCBs and hanging out with all these people is it's a it's a whole group full of motivated people. It gets you motivated. It helps. I, I couldn't imagine not being a part of a group like that and shoeing horses full time every day, all day, my whole entire life. Like there's, I mean, you guys know there's piles of dudes out there that just do it, go home buy a six pack of beer and drink beer on the couch the rest of the evening. You know, <laughs> that's crazy. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how does, how does your good. day look at when you go to practice and stuff like that? So like, do you try to practice in the morning or do you get it in usually at night after Quincy goes to bed? Yeah, I do. I go out there after Quincy goes to bed. I used to, like, I used to just be habitual and go out there as soon as I got done shooing. Like I wouldn't even come in the house, especially like, in the summertime when it's hot and it sucks, it's just better to go out there and get it over with while you're still hot and miserable. You go in the air-conditioned house and it starts to take away <laughs> yeah. your motivation. But uh, now that Quincy is here, I've changed it up to where I come in and hang out with him in the evenings till he goes to bed and then we eat dinner. And then I go back out there and make shoes in the evening. <laughs> So, like about the like around this time is usually when I will. Does your uh, like shoeing business in the winter time there? Does it slow down as far as like the number of horses you're shoeing versus trimming there? Yeah, yeah. So like in Jan, usually January and February are the slow months. Couple slow months. It's like it's nice, really. Like it doesn't come to a halt, but it it slows up and uh, it's super nice because. There's a lot of shitty days here in the wintertime and when it's real shitty outside and you don't feel like going and shooing horses and being miserable, you can just put them off and do yeah. them the next day or next week. So everybody's pretty laid back. But like November and December are pretty busy because you're, everything that's staying shod is getting winter setups like snow pads and studs. And uh, so you having it to just like takes shoe out in the elements much because like i can only imagine you know negative 10 degree days like shooting out there like fuck that yeah like i'm i <laughs> i i do a few i go to a few places where you're kind of out under a lean to but most of the time it's everybody like everybody up here who's serious about riding and having horses pretty much has an indoor barn some sort of a setup yeah. Uh, and like the people are super serious about riding in nude, like, like boarding stables and stuff. They all have attached indoor arenas to the barns, you know? So like it's guaranteed that it's going to be shitty here three <laughs> months out of the year, at least. So it's like people are pretty prepared for it, you know? And that's like New Mexico. It's so nice there almost all every day of the year. It's like when it does get shitty, if it's shitty for a couple of weeks, nobody wants to do anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And here, 
it's like it could be shitty for three months in a row so <laughs> you pretty much have to make do with whatever the weather's like you know my Life's mom she's my mom's actually yeah. in Minneapolis right now, and she says it's kind of it's quite a bit colder there than it is out here right now. Yeah, it's it's not bad honestly for January, but it's uh, I mean it's chilly, no doubt. We got a bunch of we've had a bunch of snow this year, so that kind of makes it a little more different. But uh, the cool thing about snow is the like horses' feet. That's the most beautiful they can be is when they're on snow. That's what Tom I really was like saying. That. Yeah, you like, you won't ever see more beautiful feet than feet that are on than horses that are on two foot of snow. You know, it's crazy. Do you do you like the chores that come with snow now? Like since you didn't have to grow up with them. Um, yeah, I mean it's all right. Like it, I snow plow a lot this year because there's we've been getting a bunch of snow, but it doesn't really bother me. I like, I kind of like the cold weather, to tell you the truth. I hate yeah. the flies. I hate flies uh, in the summertime. Yeah. yeah. Just, sweat, just sweating in fucking general. Like, it's not that great. Yeah. And so, like, here, like, it can get hot here, but people bitch when it's 90 here, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Cause same, same as our ice. We, but we just don't have snow. We have shitty-ass rain. Just nonstop. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of yeah. fun. Yeah. <laughs> So how much, uh, what do you foresee for yourself, like in the future on how much longer do you think you're going to like still compete? Like any more like goals that you want to try to obtain or anything you want to try to like any other competitions you want to try to win? Yeah. I mean, I think that the, yeah, the obvious, I think we want to go and win Stonely. That's a, that's a big goal of ours as a team. Um, whether it takes us one, this year or a few years, I think that that's our our main goal right now is to go over there and try and win. I don't know if it'll happen, but we're sure going to try and make it happen. So uh, I, that's that's probably my biggest goal as of right now. I uh, I had a big I had a big goal to repeat at convention, and uh, that happened this last year. So. I was happy about that. Like, I mean, I'd like to win it again too. I always think that that's a, that's kind of, since I haven't competed at the WCBs, the convention's kind of been my, uh, the one that I put a lot of emphasis on to go and try and do good at. So, uh, are you going to be able to do the, uh, Spruce Meadows one? Yeah, we've talked about it a little bit and I think, I'll probably yeah stay out of the the setup and everything, and I'll probably go to that one. Try nice. and do that. Yeah, that'll be cool, man. I uh, yeah, I'd like to go and give that a whirl. I think if all the if all the big boys show up, it'll be tough. That's for sure. There's some bad daddies. Like I tell people all the time, I'm like, if you ain't never been overseas, like to England. <laughs> There's dudes that you, you don't, don't, you never even knew that heard their name before, and they'll whip your ass. Like, you can't pronounce so. their fucking name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, Riley, you've been over there. It's like, and you have too, oh, Gavin. Man. It's like, it's like you go over there, and there is dudes that are 22 years old that you've never even heard of that are bad daddies. Yeah. It's like, 
that's still so something that, like just blows my mind of like I watching the French team and with your dad and the guy puts his foot down and your dad's like, that's a badass job. And he just looked up. He's like, I know it is. He just <laughs> walked away. He's like, yeah, yeah, dude, this is what I fucking do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, like I say, if they, if they get the turnout that they want and all the, all the high rollers come in, it'll be, it's going to be a spectacle to see. There's no doubt about that because there's some bad daddies around the world. Yeah. Yeah, I think we – not not that, like, WCB is the elite, you know, here, and it's, like, it's a, a good show to go watch. But, like, then you watch guys, like, a whole group of dudes, you know, like, the top of each country, the whole top five from each guy. It's, like, it's just a whole another category. It's pretty wild yeah. to see that much high caliber in one spot going down yeah and it's like that's the kind of the thing that sucks about sucks the most about coronavirus is it's it's uh kind of kept everybody at home so nobody really besides facebook but nobody really knows what's going on or who's uh who's doing what like the wcb team going over there to scotland was kind of the first big outing for anybody yeah. um and i mean it turned out great it was awesome it well, I, was, is there international team signed up for the next team contest uh yeah i don't know that i i had heard uh chris told me that there was some guys from australia wanted to come but i hadn't heard any about it well i know that the canadians the canadians okay, are yeah. going so yeah. that'll be good but i don't know about any sure. english teams or uh, UK teams coming, but we'll see. Well, who, um, the question we, uh, like to ask people is who would be on your Mount Rushmore and, or basically four people that you look up to or admire and think have, uh, you know, helped you out so much over through the course of your career or life. Yeah. I, I thought about this a little bit. Um, and I would have to say that probably the first one would be my wife. She's a pretty badass chick. She put up with me a lot, and she's super motivated, and it helps me be motivated too because I uh, I struggle with motivation for sometimes. So uh, her motivation definitely has helped me in my success, and just kind of goes to into everything. You know, motivation is a huge mindset mindset is huge in everything so uh i'd say her first of all uh second would be my old man absolutely i think he's got to be a record for how many mount rushmores he's been on but he's on uh, mine yeah. too <laughs> he uh yeah he's pretty much helped me with he helps me to this day with whatever i got and i send him shoes still on pretty regular basis and just been i mean you guys know as much as me he's he's the granddaddy of them all for sure so uh he's definitely up there and then i would say the third one would probably be my grandpa uh my mom's dad he's uh the guy who's the cowboy in arizona he uh he's just super cool dude one of the cool probably one of the coolest guys you'll ever meet and uh, i've always looked up to him and always kind of wanted to be like him um 
Yeah, he uh, he's. If we had like a little sidebar there, like what what are some things about him that like really? Uh, Ah, he's just he's basically like a modern day John Wayne, pretty much. I would say, like he's kind of super duper funny dude, and he, I don't know, him and my like, it's kind of strange because my mom and my dad are obviously divorced, but uh, my dad and him are like two peas in a pod. Like <laughs> when they, they get together, like they both stood up at my wedding. Um, and when you get them two together, it's like all bets are off. They're, <laughs> they're, they're real similar in the fact that like, they'll just tell you right to your face, whatever they want to say. And they don't really give a shit about any, anybody's feelings or anything like that. So pretty cool yeah they're cool he's a cool dude no doubt and then i would have to say that the fourth the fourth dude on there would have to be chris madrid for sure because he's uh been just been that guy that i've looked up to ever since i was a kid i've known i mean i've known him since he was a kid too like we met chris when he was 19 years old um and i've always just kind of i've seen him watched him come up and watched him kick ass at everything and just always kind of looked up to him and I think like I was super tickled when I got off the AFT uh super tickled to get on a team with him because yeah. it was kind of a long time coming like I was never really handy enough to be deserving of a spot on a team with him you know until I kind of took a break from the AFT and uh him and Robert were like hey do you uh do you want to get on a team with me? So, uh, it was pretty, pretty awesome opportunity. And, uh, I don't know. He, Chris, you guys know, Chris is just one of them dudes that like, I always think when I think about greatness, I think about longevity as well. Like, I, I don't think you can be great and just be around for a little while. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I think you got to stick it out to be a great person and like, be considered a great in anything. You got to stick it out for quite a few years. And I think money is the epitome of that. He's stuck it out for a long ass time. And he's, uh, he's, he's a winner, man. It's bad, badass to be on a team with him. Yeah. Kind of something, uh, you said like you look to your wife, like when you're, you know, looking for mindset or something to help change your mindset. Like, do you, have struggles like with motivation sometimes like to go out there and make shoes or like things like that. Just like, you know, anybody else like us, like what are the things yeah, you absolutely. try to do to change that mindset to like motivate yourself? Like I need to get my ass out there and do it. Yeah. I mean, I think I kind of touched on it a little before when I said like the, my preparedness, that's probably what pushes me the most is I know I know for the most part what level of what level I need to be on and how prepared I need to be to have a good go at a mm-hmm. contest. And I know like I know that if I don't reach that level that I probably won't be very confident and I won't do good. So it's like for me it's kind of a ticker tape in my head of trying to reach that level of preparedness and I think I mean you never get fully prepared, but I get to 
I think I get to a certain point where I feel more comfortable competing because I'm like, to be honest with you, I'm a pretty horrible competitor as far as like, I've been working on it a lot, but like my mindset is a huge thing and it's, I've not, I'm not very good at it just naturally. So like uh, being like being like an aggressive competitor, you think? Yeah. Just being confident. I think yeah. it's, it's just not something that comes supernatural to me is having, uh, loads and loads of confidence, you know? So I just try, I've been trying to be better and it's like, I don't know. I, I have a hard time controlling my emotions. Like those dudes, those dudes will laugh on the team that are on the team with me. Cause they call me the emotional one. Cause I, <laughs> I always get pissed or I get all down or I just, <laughs> like, I want to beat everybody's ass and just like, I don't know. It just, that doesn't sound so, familiar at all. Does it Gavin? <laughs> <laughs> so I, like, I think it's like, <laughs> I, I do, I do that at practices because I expect a lot out of myself and I expect, like, I know what I can do sometimes. And if I don't get to fucking do it or something goes wrong, I'm pretty pissed off. Like I'm yeah. not, I'm not very happy. Yeah. It's like, so have you found ways to get yourself out of it or do you let that fuel yourself? Uh, I think a little bit, you let it fuel yourself a little bit, but you can't let it be poisonous either. I think you gotta, I don't know, you gotta control it and, uh, direct it in a way, I guess, because I think that you can't let negative, negative shit into your head. And I don't, I think mindset, like if you look at any kind of competitor or any any like sports documentary or anything like that, those dudes mindset is everything for those guys. And it's like keeping their head right. That's a huge, if you keep your head right, it's a huge part of competition. And it's something that like people are, there's a lot of people that are in a lot of denial about their, like what's going on in their head. And it's like, if you can, if you can admit that you're, a head case and that you got to get it sorted out, then I think that's the first step to recovery. You know, yep. that's kind of where I am. For like sure. I'm, I'm a fucking pretty big head case as far as like <laughs> overthinking shit, thinking that I'm not good enough, trying to do weird shit right before the go, all that <laughs> stuff, you know? And it's like, I think that you have to try and block all that out and be confident in your system, confident in your game plan and, Go out there and do it, you know? And I think, like For you sure. said, if part part of that is, like, you can harbor some of that up and use it as fuel, too, you know? But, like, that, that, like, one of the things that stuck with me in that, I don't know if you guys have watched it, but that, uh, the Bulls documentary. The, Michael Jordan. Uh, the Michael Jordan documentary. That was the first thing remember. that came to my mind when you said that. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called, though. What did it, what was Last it called? Last Dance last dance that's right uh yeah they said that michael jordan used to make shit up in his head about his competitors to get pissed at him so yeah. he'd want to beat him even more you know what i mean and that's like if that ain't a head case i don't know what is you know <laughs> yeah. making up oh, making sure. up shit in your head about somebody that's not true so you can get fuel to like convince yourself that it is true so you can <laughs> have that fuel to beat them that's pretty hardcore and that's like just something that stuck with me and it's like (coughs) i don't know greatness i think to be a good competitor man you gotta you gotta appreciate greatness and i think that 
that's what's so cool about where I came from is I was around a lot of greatness and a lot of great dudes. Like you talk to Bill Poor, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like I grew up around a bunch of dudes who are always pushing greatness and pushing forward. And it's like, if you don't appreciate that and try and strive to be that, then I don't think you'll ever be, you'll ever get there, you know? So. No, I think that's great, man. I think that's a, a good place to leave people with on this, on this one. I appreciate you very much for taking your time away from your practice and time with your wife after the baby goes to sleep. That's a pretty important time. <laughs> communication time, at least in our yeah, house. Yeah, no for worries, sure. man. Uh, man, appreciate very much letting us get into your head a little bit and getting some words of wisdom out there, man. I, I appreciate you guys having me, man. It's been, it's fun. It's fun to be on here and fun to talk to you guys. And I don't know, I've listened to all of them and I, I've, some of my good friends have been on here and it's cool to, cool to listen to what they got to say because like, I mean, you guys both know me. I'm not much of a talkative dude whenever <laughs> we're like one-on-one, so even the dudes that I'm super good friends with, it was cool to hear what they had to say on here when they're talking to other people, kind of like a fly on the wall, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's been fun to hear those uh, stories from people as well. So, well, and we'll I think uh, like, as far as I'm, I know, like the super clinic is going to be standing room only jam packed. And I think that a lot of that is due to you guys pushing the WCB on here. We appreciate it a bunch, man. It's like, this is like my dad said when he was on here, it's like kind of an infomercial every time for the WCB. <laughs> so we, uh, we appreciate it a bunch. And I think like you guys are both going to be there. It's going to be, it's going to be badass jam. I mean, as far as I know, it's going to be jam packed full of people, like probably double what it's ever been. So oh, we, man. uh, we appreciate cool. the, the help, man. It's awesome getting the word out. No, it's uh, I've gotten a couple messages lately from people that said that we kind of just like knocked down that barrier a little bit that they just like, you know, there's there's like this anxiety built up with it because they've never actually like, talked to some of these people or heard them talking. And so then this was a way for them to be able to like hear those people and hear their story and realize that they're people just like them and they aren't there isn't no superpower to it. You just got to go out and practice and it's just a bunch of motivated people. So they wanted to join mm. in. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's good. That's awesome. That's cool, man. Cool. Well, Sweet. thanks a bunch, Bodie. And uh, we'll see yeah. you soon at the Winter Clinic. I appreciate it, man. We'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Talk to you Sweet. later.